Welcome in, fight fans. Here on Unlocking the Cage on a Friday, I'm Ryan McKinnell in for Jimmy Smith. I brought my pal Andreas Hale, the combat sports editor of SportingNews.com, along for the ride here. And today, we break down the UFC 274 way in chaos with Charles Oliveira missing weight for his main event fight against Justin Gaethje. We get a fight card breakdown of UFC 274 from Eve Edwards, and we talk fighter pay with Bloody Elbows' John Nash. We are just reacting to the news, Andreas. This is coming down in the last half an hour. Charles Oliveira, the reigning defending lightweight champion of the UFC, has missed weight by a half a pound, and he will be vacating the title tomorrow night in 24 hours. Even if he wins, he will not be lightweight champion because you were not allotted the one-pound weight limit that you uh, would be in a non-title fight. Since this is a title fight... You do not get the one-pound buffer. If Oliveira wins, the title is being vacated. My head is spinning, right? Cobb, Mike Russo just brought up a great point uh, as we were in break for so much of the narrative that was surrounding this week about Charles Oliveira being a quitter, right? Because that's what Justin Gaethje said. Once a quitter, always a quitter, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. Now, this is a part of the narrative. Holy shit. I don't, I don't even know what we do with this. Like, I'm, my head's still spinning. I felt bad for Eves because he had to come into this and boards were flying. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? But let, let's try to pull the camera back a little bit on this because Charles Oliveira, yes, the quitter thing, missing weight. Now we got to look at the rest of the division because you have a lightweight division that is stacked. You have a guy named Conor McGregor who's always threatening a title shot, even though always. He, Right. He's two he and three. No business. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he's no business. He has no business being in the conversation, but he's always in the conversation. Yeah, I guarantee you, he's like breathing into like the the window and writing his name. Like I'm here. <laughs> like I, I guarantee that's happening right now. But here's another curveball we have in in this. Al, uh, Volkanovski is fighting Max Holloway, and he recently talked about getting a crack at the lightweight title. Now it's like oh, you step back, and you go, "Well, shit, my goodness, there's an opening." Now, obviously, he's already signed, sealed, delivered for the Max Holloway fight for, for uh, International Fight Week. But there, it, this happen. whole thing is in, it's in disarray. It's in disarray because there's no clear-cut number one contender. Now, if Gaethje wins, you kind of can figure these things out. But if Oliveira wins, uh, do you punish him and not give him the next title shot? Obviously, you got to give him the, ne- the next title shot, right? But against who? That's Volkanovsky? the question. I mean, I wouldn't hate it. Uh but I mean, Oliveira missed weight for a reason. He's gigantic Christ. now. Like he's a big 155er. He's really grown into his body. He talked about it yesterday at the press conference. There is so much from this in terms of fallout, right? Like it is, it, it's like you said, your head is still spinning. My head is still spinning. And the one thing that I go back to, yes, the fallout, the ramifications, right? And that is something, uh, I, I, you know what? We will answer it. We'll give our thoughts. But that's also a great question. He is only missing by half a pound. If this was a non-title lightweight fight, he would be under the restrictions. He'd be good. This would be a good-to-go fight, and everything would be straight, right? But since it's a title fight, it, it throws everything into flux. It, it, so to Eve's point, like, he didn't miss weight by, like, four or five pounds. It's ultra disrespectful. So I guess in a long-winded way of getting around to it, if I'm the UFC, I don't punish him that badly. Like, I'm not, like, if I'm Dana White in the UFC, I'm not taking this super personal. It just, it's just really bad timing. <laughs> it's yeah, it, really it just, bad. It messes with your division. And, and you know, I'm going to do a dumb joke here because, you know, they call him Do Bronx, but now he's Do Queens because Queens is a bigger borough than the Bronx and you, the man didn't make weight. So now we're going to call him Do Queens, Oliveira, it's very, because he's a bigger This is a very borough. New York. This is, Russo is popping big time on the other side of the screen. <laughs> and it's a very New York. And it's a very New York-centric joke. But, yeah, no, it's a good one. He's a, he's a bigger guy. But so here's my question to you, Big Mac. It's, it's uh, Oliveira missing weight. Like, we talk about legacy and how he's going to be viewed. But if he yeah. goes out here, let's just say he demolishes Justin Gaethje. Let's just say that happens. Does yeah. this really hurt his legacy if he goes back and gets the title back? Or you know, do we all just act like nothing happened? Um, I do because it's a half a pound. I mm. do. 
I probably do. I probably give him some leeway because of his history in the sport. Um, he seems like a likable guy by all accounts, and the narrative and the arc and trajectory of his of his career has been so enjoyable to watch. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's not a habitual line stepper, for lack of a better phrasing, right? When it comes to missing weight, so I like I kind of like just like when you throw that question to me initially, that's my answer. That's my feeling. That's what I'm feeling in my heart, and that's all we have to go off of, right? And the reason why I ask this question is because as fight fans, we have short-term memories, right? We're like, we, nobody cares if you miss away. Like, two years right. from now, we'll still say, oh, you still had a winning streak. Who cares? Right, right, right exactly. It's a hot topic right now because we're like, damn, he can't win the title. But if he wins the fight, who cares? I always use this example when it comes to title belts because when shit just doesn't matter. When Floyd Mayweather fought Manny Pacquiao, nobody knows what title they fought for. unless uh, Only the hardcore boxing fan <laughs> Knows what the title was. It was probably some ridiculous WBC title. But the, the man won. Mayweather won, and everybody called him the greatest. He didn't hold all the titles. It didn't matter. Now, obviously, boxing and MMA are completely different. But if Charles Oliveira sure, just keeps winning, yeah. if, if Charles Oliveira keeps winning, nobody cares. It's a half a pound. Nobody's going to argue. If he yep. flattens Justin Gaethje, the only person who's going to be super pissed off is Justin Gaethje. Everybody else will be like, well, he still won. It's a half a pound. Get over it. Super it is what it Justin Gaethje is not super pissed. Justin Gaethje is not a thing I would want to deal with. Also, uh, Daniel Cormier, you might want to revisit your top five lightweights <laughs> of all time list when you have Charles Oliveira sitting at number three and he didn't even make weight for his first title defense. Yeah, man, I really want to talk about the rest of this card. I really want to talk about how great. I mean, we got OSP and Shogun. We got Ferguson and Chandler. Can I just can I just do a fun fact real quick for anybody that's like yes w- listening to this show and was like damn Oliveira missed weight maybe I won't buy this pay per view don't be stupid all right here's why <laughs> Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira together combined regardless of what happens have twenty eight total fight night bonuses which is ridiculous that can't be right that can't be no it's right, right. Oliveira is tied for first all time with eighteen and twenty nine fights okay that's sixty two percent of his absurd. fights ha- have at least one bonus that's, that's, that's how about absurd. this Justin Gaethje has 10, 10 total fight night bonuses in nine UFC fights. That's not even wow. a title. I'm bad at math. I, I'm bad at math. That's over 100%. That is 111%. That is 111%. <laughs> like, how would you not watch a site? But let's let's add this to it. If you add um, Cerrone and Joe Lozon to this mix, now there's a total of 72 total fight night bonuses between just those four fighters. <laughs> That's insane. That's not even factoring in Tony Ferguson, who's like the king of performance bonuses. Let's keep going. You add like, well, that includes Ferguson. Then you add OSP, who has eight fight night bonuses, and Shogun, who also has eight fight night bonuses. Now you have a main card. I haven't haven't gotten to Rose and Carly yet, but you have a main card with a grand total of 88 fight night bonuses. 88. (sighs) Absurd. I, these are numbers that I, I don't even believe. Like, I don't even believe these numbers. This is stupid. I, I mean, so I do, but yeah. If, if you're sitting at home questioning, man, maybe I should, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Buy this goddamn card because the only person that's going to suffer, like if you're Donald Cerrone <laughs> and Joe Lozon, you're figuring like it's going to be really hard to get that fight night bonus because one of somebody's going to get this. I talked to OSP yeah. earlier in the week and he was like, it's going to be really hard to get one of these bonuses. Everybody's probably going to go balls to the wall because it's just way too much money out here. If Dana does the right thing, he just pay them all, right? Just give them all extra money because they're all going to fight. It's going to be crazy. Somebody's going to get killed trying to get a fight night bonus. Then you have the, the prelims, and I know they feel bad because they're like, shit, how am I going to get a fight night bonus? And these bastards got 88 between all of them, and I got like one. <laughs> There's no chance. Yeah, they got no chance. They got zero this chance. No, I'm sorry. All due respect to Schnell and everything that Eve was saying, the, the, these prelim fighters got no chance of getting a bonus. Not on this, this fight is, card. Just this ain't happening. dumb. 88 fight night bonuses on the main card. And I didn't, I haven't looked up Rose and, and Carly yet because I know Rose has got a couple. Like, yo, we're just shy of 100 Crazy. fight night bonuses in between five, five, five fights on the main card. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156.
The master of thug jitsu, a pioneer in the lightweight division. Eve, thank you so much for joining Dre and myself on a Friday. I'm pretty sure you've heard the news. If you haven't, coming down in the last five minutes, Charles Oliveira, Eve, just missed weight for his fight with Justin Gaethje. He cannot win his title on Saturday night, man. What do you make of this? That, that That's really disappointing. I mean... Oliveira is the champion, right? He's done this a few times. I, I don't know how he misses weight at this point, man. Um, the scale was a little bit off, but everybody else made the adjustment. So um, I don't know. That That's that's hard to swallow, and it's disappointing to hear. I thought he was going to make it. I thought he was just a half a pound over. I heard the, the buzz going around. I'm here in Phoenix right now myself, so I heard the buzz going around. I thought he would make it, but, yeah, that's just really disappointing that it went down that way. And, and Eve, I got to ask, man, this is your division. You are a pioneer in the lightweight division. When when something like this happens, listen, I, this is this is a it's not just any numbered pay-per-view. This is UFC 274. This is a stacked card. This is the lightweights being put on a massive pedestal. Like, do you feel any sort of way when something like this happens? Like, is there any party that takes us personal? So I, I'm so far removed, you know, from the competition yeah. side of it. So there's a, there's a part of me that understands how, how tough it is to make weight, but I'm, we're talking about the champion. You have to make scratch and, and you, you're the one that everybody's gunning for. You have to have a standard as the champion. So yeah, like there's a part of me that that's really disappointed in Charles Oliveira because he's come a long way and he's taken a long time to get here. And um, you value, you value what you've done. You know, you have to put that value on what you've done and you put a standard on yourself by becoming a champion. The guys you've beaten to get to that point, you know, the, the only, I mean, yeah, Justin Gaethje is definitely a real challenge. Gaethje can take this belt tomorrow night, but, sure. um, you know, the, the, the Khabib comparison, not comparison, but the challenge of Khabib was one that a lot of people have always wanted to see for Charles Oliveira, especially this new Charles Oliveira. But, um, not making weight, man. That that that. There's something about that that everybody knows. There's you either did not prepare properly, or you mm-hmm. gave up and quit, or there there's something off there, and you you never know what it is. What it is, but but something tastes funny. Is I want I want to follow with this because Daniel Cormier just put out his top five lightweights, and he got Charles Oliveira at number three, and then this happens. <laughs> now, if he wins, <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh. <laughs> If he wins, how do you look at that? Because you didn't make weight. You didn't make weight. But if you still win the fight, like, how do you look at somebody in the lightweight division that can't make weight in a championship fight? So, yeah, that, that those that's a tough question because here's, here's the thing where, where I, I give him a little bit of grace in the fact that he wasn't way off it wasn't like he missed it by right five four three four pounds you know it was less than a pound so i understand that that it gets tough those last those last couple of grams last couple of ounces those things are hard to get through but you've done it before and 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 as the champion you should be able to do that every time if he wins this fight i mean he doesn't have a chance to win the belt but he's i mean he came into this thing as the champion so he retains it like that now we start talking about semantics and 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 that that kind of gets confusing <laughs> when you try to verbalize it. But I don't know. I I would be definitely disappointed. You know. Um. I, I mean, I'm already disappointed that he didn't make the weight. But the fight is the fight at this point. Um. And and Gaethje has an. I, I for the very least, I'm satisfied that Gaethje has the opportunity to win it. You know, because that half a pound that's not going to change the the outcome of this fight. I think these these men are as prepared as they're going to get, and um, the outcome of this fight is not determined upon, you know, eight ounces. So we'll see how this goes, and and should should Justin Gaethje win, you know, there's that. But if if he loses and, and Oliveira retains in quotation mark this title, it's like um, does Gaethje have a valid argument for a rematch? You know, so 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 all of that stuff goes to my head. 
this is nuts. And I mean, Eves, you've, you've made weight over the years and you understand how difficult this is. But when, when it's a half a pound and I, I made the joke, like, Charles, cut your hair, do something like do, do you think that <laughs> a fighter remove, just, you said remove some re, remove some tattoos. <laughs> I, I just feel like you got to do whatever it takes. In 2018, you were barely yeah. a 500 fighter. You've gone on this winning streak like you've done all of this to get to this moment. You can't lose to the scale. Is there anything that Charles probably could have done or should have done at this particular moment? Or is it like, do you just say, you know what, screw it. I, got, I, I can't just kill myself to lose this half a pound because then I'm just drained when I when it come to fight night. It's, it's hard to say if he could have done anything different because I, I've been around these guys. I've been in the situation they're in and I've been around these guys all week, you know, and um, watching everybody try to make the weight. Everybody's cutting. He's doing what he needs to do. And, and he, I don't know if they, if he had more time when he got on the scale for his final for his final check, but um, if he had time, then you 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 push it. You you try to make the weight. But if he ran out of time and he was doing the work, then it's just one of those things where it was just ill preparation. Maybe he should have started sooner. Maybe he should have come in a little bit lighter. But but when it gets to that point, we're down at the wire. If he pushed it until the end. I can I can accept like that he's tried, but I'm still disappointed in the fact that he didn't you know make meet the ultimate goal, and that tells me once again there was something wrong in the preparation. But um, trying until the end, like that tells me that he was committed to it at least at least to 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 the effort of getting there. Here with the pay-per-view, Eve, with Eve Edwards the night before UFC 274. Charles Oliveira missing weight in this lightweight title uh, showdown with Justin Gaethje. Only Justin Gaethje can win the lightweight title tomorrow at UFC 274. Eve, I got to ask you, if you're Justin Gaethje, you taking this personally? How are you viewing this uh, miss of weight by Charles Oliveira if you're Gaethje? I just, it just helps add to my confidence that he's ill-prepared, you know, um, I think Gaethje's going in there supremely confident anyway. His style makes for makes sure like, like look at his record. What is he? 26 and three. You know, he's, he's, yes. he's been in there with the best in the world, only lost to some of the best in the world. Um, and, and, you know, he's only lost to former interim and, and real um, full, full, full fledged UFC champions, you know? So um, right. he, he's been in there with the best going in there against a guy who's the current champion who didn't face, the guys that he's faced uh, only in Dustin Poirier. And I know he feels that he's, he's gotten stronger since the Poirier fight. Uh, and with, with, with Oliveira not making the weight, I think Gaethje's probably his confidence get, gets a little bump from that, you know, gets a little bit of, of supplemental increase because of that. But um, I mean, it's still a fight. He's still got to go in there focused and he can't take, take, take it for granted and then believe that, you know, he has an edge. He has to go and find that edge and take it away from Oliveira. But I mean, even though he's missed the weight, Oliveira is still going to be a very, very dangerous opponent. And Gage is going to have to be sharp to get his hand raised and get that belt wrapped around his waist at the end of the night. So, I mean, obviously this changes the dynamic of this conversation because the fight is now a little bit different, but if you're Justin Gaethje, does this suggest to you, maybe I step on the gas a little bit more to see what his condition is looking like at this point or do you just keep the same strategy when you see a guy miss weight and say you know I don't want to I don't want to fall into a trap where I think he's ill prepared and he catches me you know if, if he misses weight by a lot I think you put the gas you 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 redline it but um he didn't miss weight by that much and if he was trying to make it you know I I I think you you assess throughout the fight and should you see him starting to fold a little bit then you start to, to put the pedal on, you know, put the pedal down to the metal. But prior to that, I don't think you make that adjustment. I don't think you go in there trying to burn him out, trying to gas him out and potentially put yourself at risk um, because he didn't miss the weight by that much. He was very, very close. And, and that tells me that, and he was committed to doing it till the end. That tells me that he's, he was prepared to do it. And there's something else that went wrong during the camp. And you don't want to focus on that. You can't account for what, you know, what you don't know, which is what has he been doing in, in his camp? What, how much, how good is his cardio? We don't necessarily want to, um, want to put ours at risk trying to expose his, you know, I'm going to put a pace on you. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to fight like I always fight. 
And Gaethje's fight, it, the way Gaethje fights, his pressure is enough to break virtually anybody. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be in shape to, to, to stand in front of a guy like Justin Gaethje for 25 minutes. So um, 15 minutes in, if he sees all of this, there's this cracks in the armor, then 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 I think he puts the pedal to the metal. But I don't think he changes anything from the from the get go. Eve, what the heck is the UFC going to do if Charles Oliveira wins this fight tomorrow? Because he's not going to be the lightweight champion. You've obviously got Conor McGregor floating out in the ether. I know he's lost recently. He's not coming off a win, but it's like, you know, obviously the UFC loves to put McGregor in big spots. But seriously, what the hell do you do at lightweight if Oliveira wins this fight? You know, I, I, so the way that works, I don't think that the belts get, the belt gets vacated. You know, should he win the fight? I think he was the champion and he retains in some fashion the title, even though he doesn't win the title tonight. It's it's a weird dynamic. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out. I don't know if they've they've made announcements as to What's going to happen? Should he win the yeah, fight? Yeah, no, no, Eve, no, Eve. I believe the fact the fact is this is official <laughs> that if, since he has missed weight, the title is being vacated and only Gaethje is eligible to win it. So if Oliveira does win tomorrow, he doesn't win the title. That's the way I understand it. Yeah, Brett, Brett Akamola just confirmed that as well. The title is indeed yeah. vacant. Yeah. Justin so Gaethje is the only one that can win. Yep. Okay, so so, so I mean, if Oliveira yeah. wins wins the fight. I think he he's the number one contender, and there's a vacated title. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's crazy because if he if he wins the fight, he's still right. He's he's the number one contender because sure because there, there's that one pound allowance, so he's still truly a lightweight. Oh. You know, even in a contender's fight, you can make one fifty six. So like he would still be the number one contender, and and I guess he just faces the next guy in line. Um, and, and, and to, to become the undisputed champion again. Wow. What an like, we're, talk, like we're talking like NASA level math right now, man. You guys did not tell me. <laughs> yeah, no, think of how we felt. We had a caller call in Joe from Bayonne. He's like, yo, Charles Oliveira just missed weight. And we're like, wait, wait, oh, what? We're like, we're checking Twitter. Like as the show's going on live, we're like, Charles Oliveira did what? So you're coming into a hornet's nest, but we are going to transition from the main event. Cause listen, headed into UFC 274 with a lot of the questions, this is such a stacked card, right? What are you most looking forward to? I said, Carlos Esparza and Rose Namajunas too, because of the narrative and the time it took to get here. Eve, Eight years in the making, the co-main event, Nama Yunus Esparza 2. This is one of those fights that you just don't see that often. You don't. And um, the reason you don't see it is because one of these ladies, you one of these competitors usually falls off. And, and Carla Esparza yep. for a while, man, like great lady, fun to be around. But but I, I was not a fan of her fighting style for a long time. She, she had the lay and pray type style. She was a good wrestler and yep. she could take you down and she would just control, but she's evolved. And I can't remember which fight it was, but I remember sitting, I was, I feel like I was still in the Fox studio watching her fight in the green room, in the avocado room. And I was thinking to myself, man, like she's changed. Her style has changed. And I've watched her improve so much since then. She's got more confidence in her striking. Um, and when she's on top, she's looking to do damage, pass, gain, get to, to, to dominant position and looking to try to finish ladies. And um, that's a different woman that, that, that was the initial, the inaugural champion of this division. And um, I think she, she, her and Rose going at it again. I mean, Rose is that woman, man. Rose is, Rose, she's a beast. Thug she's Rose. a monster. And, and I, I can't, I can so the never, master I can of thug, the master of thug, thug jitsu shouting out Thug Rose. I love it. I, I got to give her props, man. And I, I, I love to see her perform. Um, I think, whoo, man, I, I, I think Rose is the, is the one. I think Rose is the toughest woman out there. She gets stronger every single time. Every time she gets, she, yeah. she reminds me so much of Dustin Poirier in the sense of every time she gets knocked down, she comes back stronger and she goes back to the drawing board and, and, and reinvents herself, man. Um, and, Carla Esparza, she has improved, and I think she's going to bring it. I think she's going to give Rose a lot of problems, but I think Rose is just Rose is just that woman right now. She's she's going to be hard to beat. I think she's going to find a way. She may lose a round, potentially two rounds, but I think she's going to find a way to come out on top, and she's just going to dig deep and, and, and be the thug that she is. 
So, so here's the thing. So Carla's striking has evolved, but the, the bread and butter's always been the wrestling, right? If you're Carla and you look at your strike, it's like, well, I improved, but damn, I'm probably not as good striking as Rose Diamond Eunice. Like, do I come into this fight and deploy my, my strategy that worked the first time? Or do I play around with this striking? Because I think there's a lot of fighters, and you know this, a lot of fighters fall in love with something new that they learn. And they try to use it against the wrong fighter and they end up on their back. So if you're Carlos Esparza, what do you do in this fight? If I'm Carlos Esparza, I definitely want to engage in the striking department early in the fight. I want, I want to establish myself as a potential threat. I don't have to be the threat to the level of, of Rosie Namajunas, but I have to be I have to be somewhat of a threat to her that she she recognizes that I can cause problems here and then change levels and use that to to augment my wrestling to set up my takedowns to get inside and put the pressure on but with the level that Rose is at her intelligence in the fight and where whether it be standing on the on the on the floor Carlos Paz is going to have to be in shape because if Rose can get back to her feet, which she's, I'm sure she's going to be able to do at times, and or the round gets started over, Rose is now aware of the takedown threat within the, within the striking combinations. She's going to be harder and harder to take down, and Esparza is going to have to chain wrestle better, but stay focused, keep her conditioning in, under control, and she's going to have to put a pace on Rose that she can survive for 20, that she can sustain for 25 minutes because, you know, when the fight is in the standing department, Rose is going to have an advantage and, and she's going to try to take, take charge with that advantage and create that gap between their skill sets. Good stuff there from Eve Edwards joining us here on a Friday edition of Unlocking the Cage. Eve, I'm going to leave you with this, man. In the lightweight division, obviously the main event, we've got Oliveira and Gaethje. Oliveira missing weight for those that are just joining us. So the title is being vacated. Only Justin Gaethje can win. But, Eve, another great fight in the lightweight division. Two of the most tenured fighters to ever exist at 155. They got bonuses, they got win streaks, and they got juice. Joe Lozon and Donald Cerrone in what Dana White is billing a loser leaves town match. Listen, man, for a lot of us, this is, I mean, this is a really fan-friendly type of fight. What do you think happens in this fight, and how excited are you seeing these two? Uh, I mean, they're pioneers in their own right, right? Like, you're a pioneer in the lightweight division. I feel like they're pioneers in the (laughs) second wave of the lightweight run, if you will. Absolutely, man. Both these men are, 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 are guys who I've always had admiration for, and um, this is a fight that I'm excited about. You know, these these guys have a lot of respect for each other, and and what that does, you know, these these guys are friends. They 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 can spend time together, and what happens when you get in there with someone like that, someone that you have respect for, but you also spend time with, is you don't want to be sitting around the table having a beer with Donald Cerrone, and he's talking shit to you because he beat you in a fight. You know what I mean? I know how Joe Lozon <laughs> thinks in that regard. I think both these men, they want to have that one up on the other guy. So this fight is going to be great, man. It's, I, I, I do not expect anything less than Joe Lozon, Jim Miller. You know, I, I, don't, I expect nothing less than, than Benson Henderson. Love that Donald reference. Like, yeah. I, I, I think these men are going to go out there really laid on the line. And you can build it as a, as, a, as a loser leaves town fight all you want. This could be the last one for both these guys. We don't know, right? Um, they, 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 yeah, they've yeah. both put in the work. They, they've established themselves as legends inside the octagon. And um, like these men won't be forgotten. And, and if they go out in epic fashion, both of them tomorrow night, man, I, I'll be so uh, proud. I, I love those guys. I, I, can't, I can't pick a winner in this one. I just I just want to sit back and enjoy this one. This one is going to be like me sitting back watching Avengers Endgame, you know, because I, I love these guys. <laughs> man. I, I will enjoy this one thoroughly. Uh, I am appreciating uh, all these references. Uh, Andreas, I'm appreciating all these references. Number one, I love hearing Eve talk about his respect for Joe and Donald, but also after coming off of uh, Dr. Strange last night, I love the Avengers Endgame reference. So uh, salute to you, Eve. I know you got one more for Eve, Dre. Hit him. I've got one more. So we just talked about Rose and Carla. We talked about Charles and and Justin. Now we also have OSP and Mauricio Shogun Hua. And we got Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler. I'm going to put you on the spot. Because this is very disrespectful to the wallet if you got to give out performance of the night bonuses because all these guys and girls can earn it. But if you had to pick one fight that could potentially be the fight of the night on a 
a card that's loaded with it, what do you think it could be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm kind of torn. I mean, I'm kind of torn. I, I like to separate the co and the main event, especially when they're title fight from from fight of the night opportunities because those guys, you know, they're gonna they're gonna put on right. Um, man, of course the prelims always have some tough guys. My guy Matt Schnell is going at it tomorrow night, and I, I'm expecting him to do a really really good job out there. I also do like this Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler fight a lot, though, man. Um, if if there's if there's a high level guy, a guy in the top of the division that Tony Ferguson has a good shot against, I think it's Michael Chandler. You know, um, uh, Chandler Chandler can get wild and, and he can want to prove himself at times. Um, I feel like we saw that in the Gaethje fight, and I think they both did that in that one. Um, but um, Tony Tony's tough, man, uh, and and. and He's, he's wild. He's crazy. I think Chandler should have the edge going into this one. But Tony, man, to, Tony, he talks a lot, but but he also he does perform. And we, we're talking about the best guys in the world. Those guys were able to pick him up. Like, like Gaethje. I think Gaethje's a better boxer than Michael Chandler. He's a better boxer, and he's able to pick Tony Ferguson apart and beat him up. Um, Charles Oliveira, his jiu-jitsu what really helped him against against Tony Ferguson. Of course, his striking is always on point, and he did look good there also against Ferguson. But I, I think Michael Chandler in the striking department, he's not that far ahead of Tony Ferguson. Um, the wrestling department, he's well ahead. But in the jiu-jitsu department, I think Tony's wild enough to throw so many different things that, that, that Michael Chandler that the fight gets sloppy on the ground. And uh, I think that fight is the potential fight of the night because it could, it could go anywhere simply because Tony Ferguson is a hard guy to control. Mm. Eve Edwards on a pay-per-view Eve of Fight Night Friday here on Unlocking the Cage. Thank you so much, man, for joining us here uh, 24 hours before. What is a huge pay-per-view? I know you're a busy man holding it down in Phoenix. Best of luck on the broadcast and enjoy the fights tomorrow, man. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. It's going to be awesome. Make sure you guys tune yes, into the is. first prelim on ESPN. My boy Matt Schnell is going up against Brandon Royval. And I think this one is going to be a fun way to start the TV broadcast. You never know who'll step inside the green room with Danny Green. One of the premier bus drivers of the 90s, one Mr. Charles Barkley. Listen, Kevin Durant's a terrific player, but he had a chance to be the bus driver, and he's never won a championship when he wasn't one of the other guys. And I was just trying to make the point, hey, you don't get to make excuses when you don't win. That's just the way it is. Listen, subscribe, and review Inside the Green Room with Danny Green on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. John Nash of Bloody Elbow. John joining the show to kick off Hour 3 here on Unlocking the Cage with myself and Andreas Hale. John, what a genius idea by Dana White to move the scale off by a half a pound so people would stop talking about fighter pay. Props to Uncle Dana. It's it's a brilliant way to save on the, the pay-per-view bonus you get when you're champ. <laughs> So he just saved several tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars oh. of promotion right there. My God. I, I'm just I'm joking, obviously, but the conspiracies are running wild. We are joined by John Dash here to start hour three. John, uh, but seriously, I mean, Dana should be thanking Charles Oliveira for hijacking the news cycle 24 hours before this fight, because honestly, heading into UFC 274, Tony Ferguson at the media day with his words calling Dana White a drug dealer, talking about fight or pay, he really hijacked a news cycle and brought an issue to something that you have covered for years. And, and I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to, I, I feel like thanklessly, like, I feel like you haven't gotten your flowers. We talk about it in the Twitterverse all the time. Like people don't care. Readers don't care. The metrics don't reflect that people want to learn about this stuff, but it is a really important issue. And prior to Charles Oliveira missing weight, it was an issue that we were all talking about. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a big week actually for that because a lot of fighters, the last couple of, you know, France and gone yeah. earlier, but Aljamain Sterling talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Then you got Anderson Silva yeah. earlier in the week and, and you got Jake Paul had a little video clip with him and Nganu talking about union. So you had a lot of people bring and of course Usman trying to challenge uh, Canelo Alvarez to a boxing match. So there's a lot of discussions about fighter pay going on this week. And yeah, it's, you know, I don't really fault fans. They just want to watch the fights and get entertained. So it never sure. bugged me that sure. much. 
No, the ones that bug me, the ones that that seem hostile to the idea that fighters should be getting, they, they, they seem to like the idea that it's better for them that they get a very low percentage. And how dare you bring up the fact yeah. that they get a low percentage? Those yeah. guys get how a dare, low how dare you bring how dare how dare you bring up unions in America, you absolute bootlickers. But no, uh, John, you have dedicated so much of your time and your passion in this sport to the issue of fighter pay. When you heard Tony's words Wednesday at the media day, what was your initial reaction? I mean, he straight up called Dana White a drug dealer. Well, I found it entertaining. I'll say that much. It was that he did that he did it with Dana White. There is pretty crazy, but Ferguson's always had, you know, right? he had a, he's a little bit more out there than other fighters. So that was interesting. I mean, I heard you guys talking earlier and yeah, he should have probably said something earlier, but that's the, that's the arc of all fighters. All fighters start out, they get in the league. They're just happy to be there. They, they think that the more they win, they'll eventually they'll get rewarded. And it's when they start seeing the end of their career and they look back and go, I did not get what I expected or what I think I should have got that's when they start speaking up it's often too late so it's unfortunate but that's not uncommon so i can't fault them for that because that's the arc that almost every person that speaks up about fighter pay on the fighter side goes through i mean but it does come off like sour grapes to a lot of people because it's like hey tony you've had all this big run you never said anything then but what is it going to take because let's just throw this week in the trash right charles Oliveira just ruined everything But we still have the looming Francis Ngannou situation. Jake Paul is always going to bang on this drum. What is it going to take for more people to pay attention to the situation? We talk about it on Twitter all the time, but if the fighters aren't talking about it enough, what are we doing? It feels like if you're not going to fight for yourself, I can't free you. Yeah, well, it's going to take the fighters more than anything. And there is, there's more and more conversations. My thinking is because for most of the, the, most of it, the fighters have been preconditioned that this is the world they're in. It can't change. And, and for most fighters, it hasn't. Think of it. Almost every fighter coming up came up after the death of Pride, even after the death of Strike Force. It's a it's a UFC only world that they've lived in their whole life. They can't imagine a world where there's any other possibility than what they have now. So I think it's going to take something. I think some big preps. If the antitrust lawsuit gets settled and it's a major victory for the fighters, that might wake them up because it's like, oh, wait, there was money that we should have been getting paid all these years, and and these guys in the past are getting it for the damages, but we going forward are going to get nothing. That might wake them up. Something, I guess the other possibility is you haven't gone to who's fought out his contract and waiting for the sunset provision that's supposedly in the contracts to kick in so he can go fight somewhere else. Well, if a couple fighters do that, if a, a couple fighters can get out of the UFC and go somewhere else and show that they can make money, serious money outside the UFC, that might wake them up. And, and other fighters will say, well, there's more opportunity, but also what can we do to make it even easier to get out of the UFC or even easier to have the leverage to make the UFC pay us our fair rate to stay in the UFC. So that'll be the next step. And until then though, it's just, you know, you're going to have a lot of fighters complain, arguing and upset and, and yeah, it is sour grapes by Tony, but I mean, in some truth, there's some truth to sour grapes. You know, he's now realizing that what he expected and what he thought is not going to, is not going to be there. He didn't get paid what he thought he should have earned. We're here with John Nash, a bloody elbow. John, you brought up the uh, antitrust lawsuit, which has been, uh, I think, one of the things that for a lot of us has really kicked this into high gear through discovery. We found out, what's the number? It's like an 83 to 17% uh, revenue share is what we're dealing with right now? Yeah, ba- basically, Paul Giff went through it, and he showed that the it's consistently almost every year that the event revenue, not the total revenue, but the event revenue is 19% okay. for the fighters, 81% for the promoter every year. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so... I, I, I remember Misha Tate one time, my, my former co-host on MMA Today. She's like, well, I want to know more about, you know, fighter pay. She's like, she said it. She's been on it. She's like, I'm not as informed as I need to be. I was like, well, go follow Paul Giff. Go follow John Nash. Go do your homework because there are people out there that are telling the stories. You have been telling the story of fighter pay for so long. We talk about kind of the ebb and flow and 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 you talked about the death of pride you talked about strike force other organizations like elite xc and bodog there was a time when competition was relatively healthy i think that's the issue that we're suffering from now that's not a knock on the pfl or bellator there just seems to be less viable competition to 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 counter the ufc yeah i mean that's truly that's the key if you look at professional sports wages of professional sports go up not because of a union a union helps in the sense that they work to 
get competition. Unions work to get free agency, work to negotiate to make sure that the, 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 the owners have to sacrifice a percentage of the profits to get rid of free agency because it's competition that drives up wages. And you can look through the history of every pro sport. It's when free agency was introduced or a competing league like the, uh, the ABA versus the NBA that you saw wages skyrocket. And so the, what's missing in, in MMA is that there's not competition. And the sport I would compare it to is boxing or actually boxing and pro wrestling. In boxing, there's a lot of competition. And that's why Canelo Alvarez is going to get 50 million this weekend when he fights. That's why, because DAZN had to pay him a lot to make sure he didn't go fight for Showtime. That's why, you know, when there was a purse bid, you had Fury getting 30 million and his opponent getting 7 million with a bonus to the winner because there's competition. Everybody's fighting. UFC has taken the boxing, they've taken actually the pro wrestling model where instead of having independent titles where everybody's competing for the fighters that are eligible for the titles, they've made their own titles. And that started in pro wrestling in the 1930s with Paul Bowser and the original NWA, original AWA, I'm sorry, then the NWA in 1948 made the, a whole cartel to control the title. And so pr pr MMA, all promotions do this, Bellator, whatever, they dictate that they own the title. This weekend, Oliveira missed weight. The UFC could make that a title shot if they wanted because it's their title. The commissions have nothing to do with it. It's a made-up title that they control. And so because of that, if you want to be a champion, and champions, as we know, we have a lot of data, being a champion makes you more valuable. Being, I mean, just look at this. When Brock Lesnar and Conor McGregor were big stars, but they went to mega stardom. Why? When they won the title. And so the UFC can hold this title. Bellator can do the same Say. If you want to fight for our belt and improve your value, prove your renown, you have to sign with us for a long-term agreement. And that's a lot of leverage. And so if you look at boxing, they have rules now in place with the Muhammad Ali uh, Reform Boxing Reform Act that say you cannot force a boxer to sign a contract to get a title fight. And so there's it's stuff like that. But the problem is, and I think this is the big problem, not just fans, but even a lot of fighters, I don't think they like the, they like the idea of the UFC controlling their own titles. And that's where you're going to get a lot of Gonna get, that's where we're going to have a lot of problems. Like how do you create competition sure. in this space? Yeah, it, it, yeah it's crazy. Uh, John, on the flip side of that, as, us as media, right? I think I think it gets kind of silly when a lot of people go and ask Dana White, like Dana White's going to give you a straight answer about fighter pay. But what can we do <laughs> in, in the media to kind of bang this drum a little harder? Because I think one thing that a lot of us have done is when we start putting up actual percentages and numbers and compare them to other leagues, that's when fans go, oh, shit. This is wrong, but what else can what else can be done? Or is there nothing that we can do? Well, I mean, it's really it's the media's job is just to inform the public and the fighters. The fighters are a form of the public that we're supposed to uh, we are supposed to serve the fighters as much as the, the the fans. So, I guess inform them. One of the problems I have with the media, and I think the media generally in the past we did a terrible job. MMA media was terrible. They denied stuff for years. They denied the need. They denied the fact that the UFC had monopoly or monopsony power. Uh, it's different. Fans, you know, when I say that, that doesn't mean they're a monopoly. They're not the only promotion in the world. Monopoly power is different. It's the power to control pricing. So that we denied that they even had the possibility of that. We denied that they were paying so low for years until the, mm. the evidence came out directly until the, in fact, when they'll sale the UFC people, remember people used to always think, oh, they're barely struggling. They put so much money back into the company and then they sell for billions. So it doesn't add or you'd up, hear, but... or John, or, or John, or you'd hear stuff about, oh, there's locker room bonuses, or, you know, the Fertitas are handing them this check in the back and we don't know about it. There are always excuses, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, we know that that happens, but not as much as people think. We know we have hard data of what the exact numbers are. So if you look at that, you're like, well, it's still a very small amount that they're getting paid. But for the media, I think the number one thing is inform the public and fans. And and so for the media, it's it's getting informed themselves because a lot of times I'll list the media, they'll, they'll talk to fighters and say, why don't you guys just go on strike? That's not a realistic solution. First of all, you, you, you obviously didn't follow it because they're considered independent contractors. And independent contractors don't have the power of collecting bargaining. So you got to ask, have you challenged your status as an independent contractor? Have you thought of doing that? Have you, what are other stuff you guys could do? But, but they offer solutions that are, are just as simple, the, the media just as simple as the guy on Twitter offering. It's not like real concrete solutions. And I think that's a problem because you keep telling fighters stuff that doesn't help them because it just puts them down, a, you know, walking down a, a dead end and like they get confused. Like, what's the point if all these solutions are not realistic? 
so here's a question for you, John. Jake Paul has been banging this drum really hard. And some people say uh, he's just doing it for attention. But is it important that somebody like Jake Paul is at least bringing attention to the situation? Because he's doing more than a lot of us could. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a positive. He brings attention. I mean, a lot of what he says, I think, is purely for attention. I think he's a great self-promoter, but there's a po- there's a positive. I don't think he offers realistic solutions. I listened to a video of him in Ganu where he says we should go on. Everybody should go on strike. And I'm like, e- really, everybody's going to go on strike. The NFL had a strike in 87. And in two weeks, a, a, like a quarter of the whole league had crossed the line because they needed the paycheck. And that's the NFL who has a strike fund. They're you know, they have teamworks, everything. Fighters are nowhere in that ball. And, and also the NFL, they every week they have to have all the games. So if half the players didn't show up, the NFL couldn't hold a game that week. For the, for the UFC, they hold an event every week. They only need 20 fighters to show up every week. 20 out of the 650 fighters and roster plus thousands of others available out there to show up and they can hold an event. So the idea that everybody goes on strike is just not realistic. But yes, it is great. It's very positive, actually. He brings attention. But some of the stuff he says, I'm like, okay, that's not a real solution. That's just, you know, you throwing stuff out there, which I guess that there's a positive to that too, as well. But another, a, a bizarre, a simple solution for the media too. This wouldn't be a game changer, but this would help. The media should think about bringing back some sort of media rankings that they all decide to use. Because if you have rankings Thank that you. the media, the media post, and it's everybody uses it all the time in the media and the fans see it. What that does, it gives leverage to the fighters because now they control their own ranking. They have scarcity. The UFC cannot just say, well, we're going to cut you because we took you off the rankings three months ago, and now you're no longer valuable. Or after we get rid of you, you're off the UFC rankings and fighters won't even, fans won't even miss you. It's a difference if you are on the the ratings and you look at it every week and you see, oh, this guy, Antonio McKee is number two or number three in MMA fighting, or not, I should say the consensus rankings of everybody uses every week. That's also leverage for him to get into the UFC because the UFC is like, we're, we're the place where the best fight the best. We have to bring this guy in because fans are aware that there's someone else out there that has a high ranking. I'm so glad you brought that up, John, when you talk, because I when they when the UFC decided to do their own fighter rankings, it it rubbed me in the wrongest of ways. I knew why at that moment, but. To think of it years later, I haven't heard someone put it in the context that you did did in terms of bargaining for the fighters and just how much that would help the future of the sport if media, like for lack of better phrasing, got their shit together and actually did their own rankings because it really would help the entirety of the sport. Yeah, I mean, just imagine like the AP poll in sports. The AP came up with that yeah, because no yep. one was ranking college Same sports thing. at the time. And we would do that with fighters. And it, it, I mean, it's, I should knock on just yet. Bellator started doing their own rankings, and that's just as horrible. The idea that they have their yeah, own it's rankings. The and it, it's the same it's, thing. Yeah, it's the same problem. And it's a very pro wrestling mentality. It's like you only exist in our universe. If you don't fight for yeah. our promotion, you do not exist in the, in the space of the sport. So. Well, the busted open nation out there will appreciate that uh, crossover. And there is tons of crossover in pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. I mean, they've been running side by side, John. Sounds like you know this as well as anybody for decade after decade after decade. I mean, and a lot of mixed martial artists and pro wrestlers use the very those two sports against one another to, to, to leverage their payday. Well, I mean, you could argue that mixed martial arts is nothing more than pro wrestling. That the pro wrestling of the 1900s, early 1900s, when it morphed into fake show pro wrestling there was a style called all in wrestling and that became the basis of both value valley tudo in brazil and also the japanese pro wrestling so both those came back in america eventually as mma but there's a whole whole history of that you can link pro wrestling to mma back over a century you know what i say you know what i say everything (laughs) is pro wrestling literally everything <laughs> except the literally. other thing the one thing is uh you know in the wwe or AEW, they get paid pretty handsomely compared to mma fighters you, you know they, some of these guys get a lot of money in the wwe versus what the some of the ufc fighters not all of them i know some of those nxt contracts are trash but at least they're getting paid i, I, I you know what 16 I, I, and 16 I have a I I have a complaint about that. I don't follow pro wrestling much, not since the '80s when I was a big fan as a kid. But reading on it, it's like there's a limited roster, and they seem to get a very small percentage too. And it's like the the big names get paid, but even them, it's like they are the major. They're they're like the you know the, the I'm trying to think of a major movie star right now. I guess the the Robert Downey Juniors, like The Rock or something's like the Robert Downey Jr. of uh, the WWE, but he doesn't get paid like that. So. 
I do, I do think there's that issue with pro wrestling that they, as much as those guys might make more, they have a smaller roster and easily could pay him a higher share. Oh, of course. So John, I'm curious and we'll end on this, right? First of all, I do want to say this, uh, give a little plug out to a, the old host of this show, Luke Thomas, you were on Luke's show and you did about an hour with Luke. So if anybody wants to hear more from John, just go out, Google Luke Thomas or go to YouTube and Luke, Google Luke Thomas and, uh, uh John Nash and he'll come up. You guys spoke for about an hour. We're not going to be able to do an hour here, John. And that's a shame because I feel like we could talk forever about the various issues in combat sports. And, and, and folks would learn a lot, but hopefully they're learning a little bit over this period. I just want to get your thoughts on this and we'll close on this. The decades have gone by the ebb and flow of fighter pay. Like we've talked about it. There's been, I remember the Donald Cerrone, Kane Velasquez, George St. Pierre team up from a few years ago, that kind of died down, right? Where do you think we're at right now in terms of getting on the right side of history for mixed martial artists and pay? Well, I think we're, we're at a fork either going forward. We know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. One of two things, either going forward, it's going to be yep. more of the same, which means when the UFC signs their next TV deal, they will get hundreds of millions of more of which they've already earmarked 85% of it to go to their profits. So 15% of the fighters, 85% of all additional. So three, 400 million more will go to the UFC and the other promotions will not be able to compete. And we'll see them go the way of strike force and affliction and elite XC. There might be one or two left, but they'll, They'll be small. The other option is that something happens, either a win in the antitrust lawsuit or the fighters decide that uh, we, we're not going to take this anymore and a bunch of them show up together and join Nate Quarry and show up in Congress that we want the Ali Act passed. But I think both are strong possibilities at this point because it's not, if you're going to go for that route and say we want to make an association, not a union, an association, we're going to get legislation. You do not need all the fighters. You just need enough of them to convince legislation to happen. And so it would take a number of fighters and you'd want to put pressure, but you're not talking about the entire roster. You're talking about maybe dozens, a score. And that's where the word strike turns you off so much, right? Because number one, that's not going to happen. And number two, you don't need it. You need legislation, you need awareness, and then you need people to vote. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I'm a huge union guy, but I, strike is not realistic sure. because the way the UFC right. set up, you, the fighters don't have leverage. They don't have scarcity. They're, they're easily replaceable. So if you have a strike, it's like nothing's going to stop them from bringing in 100 new guys the next day and keep the ball rolling because they have guaranteed contracts the UFC does. So strike, I'm, a, I'm against it only because I don't think it would work. We've seen in other sports. But right. if, if you can create scarcity, if you can say we're going to have rankings and you can't take it away from me, and guess what? That means there's a limited supply and you got to deal with the only ones that are ranked, the only people that can fight for the title. That changes the ball game because now you have scarcity, you have leverage, and the UFC has to, and other promoters have to deal with a very small group of fighters. They can't swap them out for other fighters. Well, John, man, I know it was a brief chat. Hopefully, Fight Nation out there learned a little bit. I know I certainly did. I followed you for years. I think this is the first time we've actually been able to communicate ver- via a video stream. So it was really good to actually get down and, and, and chop it up with you, at least for a few minutes. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the time and the effort you put in for this sport. And thanks for joining us on a Friday, man. I really do truly appreciate it. It was a pleasure coming on. Sorry to disappoint you with the appearance, but okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Like we said, like he's the one that has to apologize. When you look at my slovenly, translucent body out here, sweating my hogged face off in Las Vegas. That is John Nash. Go out and follow him on Twitter. Hey, not the face. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.